The morning's reading is from Ruth, chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Marlon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you, as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this, they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Amen. Hi. Do you know the trouble with stories like Ruth? Most of you here know the ending. 
It's easy to sort of post-rationalize the decisions that Ruth made and Naomi made when you know what happens afterwards. But that's not real life, is it? We have to deal with the tough times. Times when we suffer disappointment and pain and we've no idea what the future comes. So how should we respond? How do we deal with that pain? Where is our hope? Where is God? Today we're going to try and answer that question. Where can we find hope when life throws its worst at you? And we're going to do that through the lives of these three women, Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah. Now, I'm not going to leave chapter one of Ruth. And if you know the ending, can I ask you to forget it? Because what we want to try and do is to understand the decisions that Ruth and Naomi made and Orpah. Having said that, if you've never read Ruth, and even if you have, can I give you some homework? Can you go home and read it? Read Ruth again from end to end and just see God's redeeming love in their lives. It'll take you 15 minutes. It's a great story. You see, we all face challenging situations in our lives. It might be, for some of us, a loss of a loved one. Or possibly disappointment. You know, life hasn't turned out the way that we expected. For others of us, it's health. For many of you, I know, and for Sue and I, we've been touched by you know, people we know with cancer. And cancer diagnoses that don't appear to have a hope of healing. Or for others of us, it might be our job or the fact that we just don't know how we're going to afford to feed the family for the rest of the month. And when you're stuck in the middle of all of this, all we can see the pain or the worry or the sadness. So where can we find hope? Because if you don't know what the ending is, where do you go? And I believe in this first chapter of Ruth, we can find the answers. Was it the wrong way? No. Ah, it's working now. The story of Ruth is set in the time of Judges, about 1,300 to 1,100 years before Jesus was born. It's known as the Dark Ages of the Old Testament. One quote from Judges is, In those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. The sort of Wild West of, um, of Israel. Now, judges were leaders. They were called to um, call the people back from their sin and for their assimilation with people, uh, the peoples that they were living amongst. It's a hard book to read. There are some pretty horrible things in Judges. It was a brutal time, particularly so if you were a woman. And this is the time of Elimelech and Naomi. They live in Bethlehem, but there's a famine in Bethlehem. So they make the decision to travel to the land of Moab. It's not far, it's 60 miles. You go north around the, the Dead Sea, as you can see on the little picture here. 
round into Moab. They're economic migrants. They're no different to the people coming from North Africa to Europe for a better life. That's who Elimelech and Naomi were. They were going to the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now Moabites were distant cousins of Israelites, but they worshipped a different god, a god called Chemosh. Moabat, um, the Moabites traced their lineage back to Moab, who was the son of Lot, who was the cousin or the nephew of Abraham. So, distant relatives. We don't know why they went. We can guess it's because of the famine, but we don't know whether it was they were looking for a permanent new home or whether they were looking to just go there and live out their time whilst there was the famine and then come back. But then whilst they're in Moab, tragedy strikes. Elimelech dies, and Naomi is left with two children, Kilian and Marlon. They go on to marry Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. But after 10 years, they haven't had any children, and Marlon and Kilian die too. Naomi's life is hard. She's left a famine to move to a foreign land. There she loses her husband, her two sons. She has no heirs. The family line is broken. Who's going to manage the land? Who's going to look after her when she's old? And Moab is not a safe place for women on their own. You see, in those days, having a husband was hugely important. Maintaining the family line. How you were looked after when you were old. People didn't tend to marry for love. They married because, you know, it was important to maintain the family line, to maintain family ties. So what does Naomi do? She hears life's a little bit better now in Bethlehem. She decides to return home, to return home to her people because the famine is lifted. And possibly she can sell the land she owns or maybe rent it to a relative and maybe survive that way. So she packs up and her daughters-in-law initially join them, join her. But then she tells them to go back to their family and their own gods. Why? Because she says, the Almighty has made my life bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. She then goes on to say, the Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Her conclusion is, these things have happened because God's hand is against her. Now, when we look at the life of Orpah and Ruth, we can see two different illustrations about how we might respond to this sort of tragedy when it befalls us. Let's start with Orpah. What a disaster. All her dreams are in tatters. She has no children. She has no husband. 
She's not sure where the next meal will come from. And she can't see any hope in her old age. She's facing poverty, loneliness, humiliation. And if she goes back with Naomi, a refugee in a strange land where the rule of law is not enforced. The gods had clearly failed her. So what does she do? She picks herself up. She starts again. She goes back to her own people. She goes back to her own God in the hope of finding a new husband, in the hope of possibly having children and a future. You see, it's no different for us when tragedy strikes. We blame God. We get angry at the injustice of it all. We can become frustrated at his silence and God's lack of action. We might even come to the conclusion that this God of love is a myth. He doesn't really exist. How could he exist if he's done these things to me? We ask in our hearts, why, why, why? Many of you here will know about Anne Morden, who sadly passed away on the 18th of June this year. She was the wife of a minister, previous minister here at the church and dearly loved by many people here. She had an amazing pastoral ministry and we had the privilege of listening to her testimony here on a Sunday. And she talked about asking why in her testimony. Why had you taken her and Peter to Sheffield? Why were you not answering my prayers? I know when my mum died, why did she die when my adopted sister had only been in the family for such a short time? Why did she never get to see my sister get married and have children? You will also know Sue and I are struggling with the fact her brother's suffering with cancer, but he served tirelessly in his church. They were without a minister. And he was the one that stepped up and preached every Sunday. But why is it he has the cancer diagnosis? The one where there doesn't appear to be any hope. If you read the Psalms, throughout the Psalms, David and the other Psalm writers ask the question, why? The trouble is, we don't find in practice God tends to answer the why question. That clip from the video Whirlwind we saw earlier about Job. Job asks the why question and God doesn't answer. He just says, who are you to ask me the question? In fact, as I went through, I only found one example of the why question being answered. There was um, a man born blind and the crowd were asking Jesus, um, why was he born blind? Was it because of the sin of his, him or the sin of his parents? And Jesus said, neither. It was that I might be glorified. God doesn't tend to answer the why question. But is there another way, uh, the way of hope that we can look at? Let's see how Ruth responds Ruth chooses to cling to Naomi and she makes this really famous statement. She says, your people 
will be my people. And your God, my God. Remember, she's a Moabite. She's supposed to worship Chemosh. And then she says something even more amazing. She says, where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. She then says, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Ruth was choosing to be a refugee. She was choosing to leave her family, her own land, her own language, in a situation where she had no husband, no children, no hope of a future in her old age. And then she commits herself ever so severely to hang on, to not turn back, despite the fact Naomi says that God you've clung on to is dealing with me ever so severely. Now the interesting thing is that when Naomi talks about God, she uses the name Yahweh. She doesn't use Chemosh, she uses Yahweh. She knows the God of Abraham and Isaac. She'd heard the stories of Moses and Joshua and how God has led his people. She knows he's a God of forgiveness and restoration. She knows he's a God of compassion and love, so unlike the fickle gods of her own people. She chooses to hold on to a God who promises hope. She chooses to trust him despite the fact she can't see it in her life of her mother-in-law or herself. You see, for Naomi and Ruth, God was sovereign. God was Lord of all. He was the creator God. You can't walk away from a God who is sovereign. You can walk away, but he's still there. But also they knew this God personally, this God of love, faithfulness, and grace. Where else would they go? Now, that's a perfectly rational argument when life's going reasonably well for you. But when you're in the middle of pain and sorrow, how do you cope? Do you hold on? Or do you turn away and try and fix it yourself? You perhaps get into that relationship you know that's not quite right, but because you're lonely, you want someone with you. Maybe you start drinking because it, you know, it numbs some of the pain. But the amazing thing about Naomi and Ruth, they didn't have scripture. They just had the oral tradition of the stories told to them. But we do. We have so much more than Naomi and Ruth. We have the Bible full of promises and hope. We have a God who we know loves us so much that he sent his son to die for each one of us. His death and resurrection are a guarantee for every Christian that death isn't the end. That we have a new life a better life, 
We have a perfect body, one without cancer and pain. We have a life without tears, pain, or loneliness. We have a life where we are loved more than we can ever understand or comprehend. A life that will be incomparable to the one that we experience here on earth. That is our ultimate hope as Christians. And that hope is guaranteed by God. But that's not all. God promises us something special. He promises us that he will be with us, especially in times of trouble. Let me show you what I mean. Let's start with David. David says in one of his Psalms, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you, that is God, are with me. Your rod, that is God's star rod and staff, they comfort me. David's experience is that God is there with him in the toughest and the hardest times. Let's see what Isaiah has to tell us. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. That's the testimony of Isaiah the prophet. Let's see what Jesus has to say. Jesus said, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He is with us every minute, every second of the day. From the second we were born through to eternity. And let's close with Paul. For I am convinced that neither death or life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. That is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing that will separate you from the God who loves you. Back to Anne Morden's testimony. She said at the lowest point she was at, when she heard that the cancer's treatment was finished, and she'd heard it wasn't, hadn't just worked, not worked, it had got worse. That's when she asked those why questions. Why have you brought me to Sheffield? Why aren't you answering my prayers? And she says that is the point that Jesus met her in a very special way. She testifies that God was with her every step of the way through her cancer. And she says at those low points that we all have, that's when God put his arms around her. I also read an article in Christianity magazine, another lady who suffered from cancer, Kate Bowler, and she said, sorry, I keep turning around, I've got no idea whether the clicker's working. Cancer didn't change my faith in a fundamental way because the worst moment of my life was also the most powerful experience I've had with God. The other thing that Anne testified um, in her testimony was that the, which is mirrored, I think, by Ruth, is that Ruth clung on to God's people. And Anne said, 
you know, the love of God's people, her family and her friends were incredibly important to her during this time. They sustained her, both with their prayers, their time, and practical things like food. And that's a huge challenge for us as a church, isn't it? How do we serve and support those in our community who are going through these really tough times? And how do we maintain that in the long term when some people's tough times go on longer than others? So in summary, where is our hope? Our hope is in a God who loves us more than we can comprehend or understand. Our hope is that we don't have, that this life is not the end. We have a God who guarantees new life, a perfect life, a life without pain, brokenness of this world after death, an eternal life where we meet and know God's love personally in a very real and powerful way. But not only that, he promises to be with us always, and especially in the toughest times, walking alongside us through the valley of the shadow of death, carrying us when we just don't feel we can carry on. And also through the love and support of those we love, whether it be in our church community or our family and friends. In closing, I want to leave you with a verse. I promise it's the last verse we're going to look at. It's from Jeremiah. And he says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Note they're God's plans. They're the Lord's plans. They're good plans because they're plans to prosper and not harm us. Plans to give us a hope and a future. But remember, they're God's plans. Even in chapter 1 of Ruth, there is a word of hope. Because God's plans are being worked out in the lives of Naomi and Ruth. They can't see it. They have no idea that God, this particular thing, is going to transform their lives in the near future. Because it's part of God's plans. Because the last five words of the chapter are... The barley harvest was beginning. The barley harvest was beginning. That is the pivotal moment. That is the thing that transforms their lives. But I'm not going to tell you why. Because I want you to go and do your homework. Go home and read the rest of Ruth. And you'll discover that God's timing is absolutely perfect. In summary, we're going to close with a song. I'm not going to sing it. You're not going to sing it. But a band called 10th Avenue North are going to sing it for us. And we're going to project it up on the screen. And the words will come along the bottom to help you if you can't quite work out what's being said. But it nicely summarizes some of the points I've been making. Thank you. As I walk this 
their purpose for the pain? Did I cry these tears in vain? I don't want to live in fear. I want to trust that you are near. Trust your grace can be seen in both triumph and tragedy.